along with you from veranda in the curry barracks we'll tell you more about what we're doing here as the hour continues welcome to the sports drive brought to you by calgary lock and safe save 450 dollars on the braun ev 5922 gun safe now just 1450 or explore the full line of safes at calgary lock and safe.com busy hour coming your way here on flames talk we're available on apple spotify google amazon or wherever you get your podcast hello fix Patrick, how are we doing? I'm doing well, and now it's Friday. Uh, oh. It is time to say hello as Flames Talk is back for the season. It's time to say hello to Flames Talk contributor once again, the one, the only, Eric Francis of Sportsnet joins us. It's time for Francis Fridays. Hello, Francis. How are you? I'm great, my man. Are you a tennis? Do you watch the U.S. Open and all that or any of those tournaments? I will. Uh, I will usually watch like come the uh, the semifinals and the finals. Yeah, I'll watch or PVR. Man, I cannot get enough of the majors. Like I just, I love tennis and just this U.S. Open. I love that they play so late. I know that the players hate it and the fans hate it, but living out in the west end of the world, it's great to watch tennis before you go to bed. And then just anyway, I'm just all hyped up. Just watched a really cool match. With this Ben Shelton, this young kid, he's going to be a, a star. And uh, Djokovic, and uh, there were semantics near the end of it that were just nobody. Nobody cemented their feet to the ground. That's the good news. Like you know, not those kind of antics. Yep. But, uh, it was it was, a, it was a very entertaining match, and the fans were obviously into it huge because he's an American. Uh, this Shelton kid, and uh, anyway, just love it, love it. Can't wait for the final and the semifinal tonight. I'm glad that you're. Uh... I'm glad that you're enjoying your Friday. That's what I like to hear. Um, this, that's, I, I only do this hit to make sure that you're enjoying yourself, so I'm glad that we uh, have checked that box on this Friday. Perfect. By the way, by the way, stay tuned at the end of Francis Fridays this hour for a couple of big announcements when it comes to Francis Fridays and beyond. So uh, stay tuned for that. Eric Francis is brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. One of the biggest thoroughbred racing days of the year is back in Calgary. Catch the Alberta Breeders Fall Classic. It goes next Saturday, September 16th at Century Downs. Seven races for Alberta bred horses and over $350,000 in purses. That's coming up next Saturday, the Alberta Breeders Fall Classic. Are you uh are you ready to rock and roll for uh the coming season? Like are you ready for another year? Is it time or is uh are you still in summer mode, Francis? You know, we still got a handful of golf golf games lined up, but yeah, we're we're ready to go. I mean, I think what next Tuesday uh the the golf tournament kicks off the, the tournament's Wednesday, but the luncheon's Tuesday. And that's when you start seeing the players again. And, uh, and, and they actually have the luncheon at the dome. So you're sitting on the ice, you know, the ice is in, uh, we have the banquet actually on the ice surface. Obviously there's, there's boards <laughs> on the ground, but it is, uh, that, that kind of is the official kickoff for me. So I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, I've heard some people say like around the league, I think Jeff Merrick was saying he, 
he thinks the Calgary Flames are the most interesting team. Like this could be the most interesting of all seasons in the NHL because, as he says, you don't you don't know what they are, and I think that's fair, and and I think that's that there's an excitement level there as someone who covers the team that we don't know what we're going to be covering. Like there are, there are narratives that say it's going to be a there's going to be a sell-off come trade deadline, and certainly in some fashion it looks like there will be. Mm-hmm. But is it a sell-off, or is it just a retooling, or is this the kickstart of a of a rebuild, or is this team going to be as good as it was two years ago, or or somewhat close to that where they're you know challenging for the division? I I don't know. I don't. I you know I got to sit here. I literally am going to spend the weekend trying to figure out like what predictions there are. Like I don't know. I think they'll be in a playoff race. I don't think there's any question in my mind that they're good enough to be a contender for a playoff spot. But beyond that, I don't really want to throw a whole lot of predictions out there because it's anyone's guess where this is going to go, right? The one thing I would say is the most important thing I would say is, and every team in the league would say this, but getting off to a fast start is going to be absolutely crucial for their confidence, for the direction, potentially to be able to sway Elias Lindholm or Michael Backlund that – you know, maybe they do want to stay here. There's just a lot of reasons why I think there's a lot of pressure on this team to get off to a good start. And, uh, and so we'll be watching real closely for that. So you mentioned the narrative there. The big storyline coming into camp is, as you mentioned, Elias Lindholm, Michael Backlund, Noah Hannafin, the list of unrestricted free agents at the end of the season. Are you worried with so many players coming in without a contract for next year that that's going to be a distraction? Especially, especially knowing what you just said there, Francis, where you talk about how, because I'm with you, I think it's a great point that getting off to a good start could go a long way in, in putting some of the negativity from last year behind them. And then, as Vix just said, you've got this potential distraction of six, seven guys maybe not being under contract beyond this season. It kind of kind of juxtaposes uh, the potential positivity that a good start could really bring. I, I, it's a great point because if they get off to a great start, then, then it kind of masks everything, right? And, we, you know, you don't won't hear people talking as much about their future. I mean, it'll be kind of a – it'll be something that everyone will talk about all year long. But it, if they start losing early, then it feels like the timelines move up on when those trades will be made or when those decisions have to be made by those players on whether they will sign here or not. Or, or, and by management on, you know, when they decide they might have to cut bait. So, yeah, the, the it, distraction, you and I, we all know, guys, that on Tuesday or Wednesday, sorry, the, just before the tee-off of the golf tournament, those three guys are all going to stand in front of the cameras and the microphones, and they're all going to say that they're not going to talk about their contract situation past today. And that doesn't stop everybody else from talking about it, but they're certainly not going to add any fuel to the fire or, or scuttle any of the rumors uh, from now till the time they're either traded or signed by the team. So I, I think we're not going to get much light shed on those three guys. I think we're all pretty well aware of what their situations are, what their stances are, and uh, they're just going to have to – the season will play out and help them decide which way it's going to go. 
do you do you worry at all about it being a big time distraction? Do you do you worry at all about you know that that getting or turning into a bit of a, a runaway train? If because you know they'll they'll probably go about things the same yeah. way. You know, I'm going to talk about this now. I'm going to uh, I'll, I'll address it once and then not address it again. But does it have the potential of of getting away on the team, knowing that it's it's that big a talking point? Yeah, I do. I do. I do worry about it. I mean, they're all professional and everything, but at the end of the day, you know, when you play a team sport, you're all, you know, you're all in it together. You're all fighting. You're all pulling on the same side of the rope. Uh, but if you know that a guy any day could be pulling on the other side of the rope for another team, it just kind of makes it a little harder to put your trust and your support in that player. Like, I, and maybe I'm wrong. I just feel like, that's the way I would feel um, if, if, if there's there, there, you know, certainly there could be three or four or five guys in that dressing room who won't be with the team past the trade deadline, theoretically. And uh, it, it, it can be a distraction, especially if things aren't going well for people to look and go, you know, for teammates to look around and go, I don't know if these guys are giving it their all. I don't know if I need to, I don't know. I do think it could be a distraction is the short answer to that question. Um, yeah. Uh, don't don't you guys think that you concerned about that? Especially hundred percent. It's it's maybe early. my it's maybe my biggest worry, guys, because. I think there's a lot of things that you could point to in a positive uh, in a positive vein, right? Like Craig Conroy is now the general manager and the positivity that goes along with that. And Ryan Huska brings a, a fresh and a little more positive energy to the head coaching job. you got Mark Savard who brings that kind of upbeat uh, attitude to the coaching staff. And, you know, you've got players who seem like they're energized. You've got Jonathan Huberto talking about how he wants to prove that last year was, was not who he really is. And, you know, you've got Rad- Rasmus Anderson talking about wanting to be captain or Mackenzie Weger talking about you've got all of these things that are very positive and yet this thing is something that's a little bit out of everybody's control and yet yeah it, it worries me that that could counteract a lot of the positivity or could work against a lot of the positivity I hope it doesn't and I hope it's not a distraction and I I think that all the guys in question here are professional guys and and don't come in with ill will or anything like that, but just because of, you know, how we always hear that, oh, you know, we don't listen to the media, but that stuff makes a difference when, when it becomes all that, all that people on the outside are hearing and they're connected to the outside through family members and friends, like it can seep in. And if that's all that us yahoos are talking about, and uh, if that's all that people are calling about on our post game show and all that type of stuff. Yeah. I, I do think that it's got the potential to, to maybe counteract some of the positive stuff. I hope it doesn't though. Vic C, you think the same thing, I'm sure, right? I mean, it's got the potential of, of getting out of control. But, again, I, I, I think all that can be quelled with a, with a really good start. Yep. To a degree, I think the fact that this isn't a, a group of players that have two or three years left on their contract, like if they bring in any negativity and it affects their production at all, it affects their performance, it's costing their wallet. So I'm a little less concerned about that element. But at the same time, you're right to the sense where you, you're going to battle – with these guys and you don't know if they're going to be here for a day, a week, a month or eight years, four years, five years, whatever the term might be on the contract. So I do get the distraction side of things, but I also understand the professionalism involved, particularly when you're looking to cash in on a big contract and it'll affect your bottom line personally. Yeah. These guys, if they want out and I, I actually take great offense to that term 
um, they want out. I, I think there's a big difference. I, I think we've covered this before, but I feel very strongly there's a big difference between wanting out and, and just deciding not to resign. There's a massive difference. Tyler mm-hmm. Toffoli, in the end, said he wanted out, so they accommodated, accommodated him right away. If Noah Hannafin says to them, I want out, then I bet he'd already be gone. I think he's happy to come back here and start the season. He's just not going to be contemplating the possibility of staying past this season. It doesn't mean you want out. It just means that you want to seek greener pastures. That's all. It's a bit of a nuance, but I think it's a significant nuance because nobody's coming here unhappy is kind of my point. Um, and as a matter of fact, I think the mantra or the, the overwhelming feeling this year is guys coming back here with a weight off their shoulders because they know they're not coming back to a scenario that was just really heavy under the last right. coach. Just a, right. just a heavy, heavy, arduous place to be that wasn't much fun. They've, they've all spoken in veiled terms about how they want to get back to having fun again. And uh, I think there's a lot of fans that don't like hearing that so much as they're just like, fun. Uh, you're getting paid $8 million, $6 million, $4 million a year I don't care if you have fun or not. You're paid to produce. You're not paid to have fun. But every player will tell you if they're having fun, it makes it a whole lot easier, I think, to produce and, 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 and be, you know, at your top of your game. So there's a definitely from players I've talked to, I only talked to three different players in the offseason, but all three of them made it pretty clear that they can't wait to get back and just see how different things are under Ryan Huska. We're chatting with Eric Francis. It's Francis Fridays for Horse Racing Alberta here on this hour of Flames Talk. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, live right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Francis, the the narrative, for some anyway, and, and certainly the narrative that we're hearing out there seems maybe a little bit more optimistic that Elias Lindholm might re-sign uh, and, and, and might be okay coming back on a long-term deal for the Calgary Flames. And have you have you picked up on on that narrative shift? And are you buying into it? If so, yeah. I mean, I certainly think it's it's a very real possibility. I think that the it is such a careful dance for the organization too, though, right? I mean, you're going to pay nine million dollars, which is probably the going rate next year for Elias Lindholm if he hits the open market. Although, you know, so many teams are up against the cap these days. You, you know, I'm sure his agents crunched the numbers and looked at which teams might have that sort of money to spend. But sometimes the team that you're with is the one that covets you the most. And uh, that's probably the case right now. The Calgary Flames certainly covet him. But, man, $9 bucks times eight years. If those are the sort of numbers. We're certainly those are the, that's the neighborhood we're talking about. Somewhere between yep. $8 $9 million a year. I don't think there's any question about that. God, that's a lot of money to pay for a guy um, who's, you know, at his age. But but the flip side of it is he is your number one center. You need him to help getting get Huberdo and these guys back on track. Um, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. It's, it's a tough one. It's, it's clearly not a situation where the Flames are willing to just spend every dime possible to keep this guy because he's an asset and they need to keep him. There's that careful dance of, okay, we've got to make this as savvy as possible while also trying to keep one of our most prized assets. So I, I, I I guess it's a coin flip in a lot of people's minds uh, that I've spoken to as to whether or not he's going to come back. Like it literally is a 50, 50. 
You know, I, I would say at one point it was the same with Johnny Gaudreau, right? That's probably where you put the numbers out with whether Johnny was going to come back 50-50. But all things being equal, again, if this team doesn't get off to a good start, I think it's a whole lot easier for that 50-50 to turn more into an 80-20 in terms of the players saying, you know what, guys, this just is not worth it. I can get more on the open market and I get to pick from 31 other cities. I'll take my chances on the open market. So you kind of weave through the pros and cons there on the Elias Lindholm front. What are you leaning towards? Is what's better, I guess, for the organization? By the, by the, by the way, Francis, you stole. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to because on up. Thursday we uh, did a good forty-minute segment on the pros and cons, and I'm glad you went there. Uh, Vickers used the term <laughs> "damned if you do, damned if you don't," and you use the same term. So, Vickers' oh, wow. eyes lit up when you said it. He he loves that you're on the same page. I wasn't going to call you out on it though. <laughs> Well, it's tough, right? I, well, I'm glad you agree. Like, I, I, think, I just think it's a – this is not a simple, okay, if Elias will – you know, he'll sign if we pay him $9 million a year. My God, that's a lot of money to pay a guy who's going to be, what, 37, 38 when he's finished that contract? I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty significant. It's a very significant decision for an organization uh, that also, has, you know, we don't know if they're looking to rebuild in the next year or two. We don't think they're planning on rebuilding in the next year or two. Yet, if you ask most fans, they'll probably tell you that a rebuild or a retool, a significant retool, is clearly on the horizon uh, because of all these pending UFAs and because, well, just the way the team's been last year. So, I, I don't know. It, again, huge decision to make. Um, you, you asked another question in there. What's best for the organization? Yeah. I'd answer it by saying there's two separate. What's best for the organization right now is to sign Elias Lindholm so that for the next two or three years he can get Jonathan Huberto back to where he's got to be and, uh, and this team will have depth up the middle and you know one of the better two-way centers in the league and all this stuff. But what's best for the organization for in years four, five, six, seven, eight of Elias Lindholm's deal? I'm not sure it is in the interest of the organization to have a guy making 9 million bucks a year, as well as Huberto's making 10 and a half and, and all these other guys who are getting paid a huge amount of money to be in their mid to late thirties. So in the short term, yeah, I think everyone will be happy in the long term. I'm not sure it's the best thing. And it's, and, and, and yet you're kind of in the, situation where as to to Vickers point you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't and, mm-hmm. and 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 it's funny because I having gone through the exercise earlier this week listening to you talking with people I still I still come down on the yes I believe it is best for the organization to sign Elias Lindholm to an eight-year extension if he's okay with it if you can get him to agree I think you do it but it's it's not like for me you know, just over a year ago when we were having similar conversations in the spring and early summer of 2022 about Johnny Gaudreau was a slam dunk. All day, every day, you sign him, no questions asked. There, there's not even, like, there wasn't even a debate. A year and a bit later, you mentioned the three new long-term contracts for guys who are around 30 or over 30, and now talk about adding another one. It's it's nowhere near as snap a decision. It's kind of like 60-40 yes, because I, I really do understand those who point to the downside and, and say, no, they, they probably wouldn't do it. Well, listen, isn't it funny how we looked at Johnny Gajo? You're right. Everybody wanted him signed, of course. He just come off that huge season. Uh, he helped form one of the best lines in hockey. Well, no, the best line in hockey that year. Yep. Um, 
you know, he was, he, he still is one of the most exciting players in the national hockey league. But as soon as he signed in Columbus, I think everyone started after the dust settled and the season started all this, everyone started realizing, boy, Johnny Gaudreau at age 36, 37, 38 at whatever, you know, whatever the price, what did he pay get nine and a half million in Columbus? You know, I don't think that's going to age well at all. Um, I thought it was very interesting that uh, because he's a one-dimensional player. He's a playmaker, and he's shifty, and he's speedy, and he's got great hands. As you get older, and you're not as shifty, and you're not as speedy, and you're not able to elude those checks as well. And, uh, you know, then then I'm not sure what Johnny Gaudreau is at that point. Elias Lindholm, as a 35, 36, 37-year-old, could still be, as Craig Conroy pointed out in his opening press conference, could still be a very important piece Mm-hmm. to your puzzle even if he's not your number one center maybe he's your number two or even your number three guy maybe he becomes essentially michael backland what michael backland is right now in his older years but uh, so there's more upside i think in an elias lindholm in the latter years of an eight-year deal as compared to johnny Gaudreau. either way it, the Gaudreau thing doesn't matter anymore but it's just funny the way we look at things especially before he signs somewhere and then afterwards when he goes somewhere else we all kind of People cushion the blow by saying, well, that contract won't age well for Johnny. I'm glad the Flames didn't sign him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's a difficult uh, it's a difficult dilemma they've got on their hands, and we don't even know where Elias is leaning at this point when it comes to what his future might look like. Um, okay, before we uh, before we uh, before we move on to a couple of announcements. Um, what's what's your feel as we head to Penticton next week and then get training camp going on? I'll ask you right now. I'll probably ask you again before we get to the start of the regular season, but on September 8th, are the Flames a playoff team in your mind? Oh, man. I Again, I... <laughs> where's, where's my coin? Yep. Where's my coin? <laughs> uh, I can't find a coin anymore. There's no coins anymore. I'd like to flip one. Anyway, it's, I really think it's a 50-50 proposition. Um, I certainly think they have the talent uh, to, be, to be a playoff team. I, I certainly think that Brian Huska is going to be an excellent head coach and is going to put it together systems that are going to be effective, and this team is going to respond to Ryan Huska. I believe all that. I just worry about the reality of these contract situations and the fact that the GM at some point is going to have to step right, in right. and alter the course of the team. And, and again, it's all about asset management. If you can, it's not like you're going to lose Lino for nothing. If you trade him for significant assets, then, then, then the outlook is totally different. If you can't get what you think the going, the, the you know the going rate is for a guy like that, then that can set the organization back significantly. So, yeah, that it's it's a hard one to answer right now. I I I, I plead the fifth. I I, I honest to God, I just <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I, I really do. I I, I want to see how camp goes to another thing, guys. Like one of the most exciting things that everyone talks about all summer long, and 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 we'll be talking about it all throughout camp and all three of us are going to Penticton and is these youngsters. And I'm not saying that anybody who's going to Penticton is going to make the team, but these, the fact that they've, they're leaving open, I don't know, three spots, whatever the number is for young players that excites the hell out of fans, but how they uh, grow and how they play, is going to, it's going to play a huge role in how this organization goes forward too. So uh, that's another wild card in all this. 
Let me put this to you in in more Francis-like terms then. The Vegas line on the Flames season is 94.5 points. They had 93 a season ago. One word, are you going over or under that amount? I'm over what they got last year. Okay. Okay. But 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 as you know, like you in this division, well in any division, you could get 96, 97 points and still not make the playoffs potentially. Right. Um, I'm not. I haven't looked around the league to try to, you know, with all the moves that were made in the off season. Like is 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 LA better? Is uh, you know, are any of those bottom feeders a threat anytime soon? I don't think so. Uh, you know, like Edmonton's obviously going to be one of the better teams in the National Hockey League. Um, I don't know. I'm over. That's a great way to put it. Are they going to get more points than last year? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> but I wouldn't wager too heavily that there'll be too many more points than last year. Okay. Um, all right. So Eric Francis with us right now. Eric Francis Fridays has been a staple of Fridays here at Sportsnet 960 for years and years and years. It will remain a staple of Fridays going forward, but uh, at an even uh, larger, in an even larger extent, because uh, starting next week from Penticton, BC, it'll be the uh, Eric Francis Hour every Friday from 5 till 6 live or on the Hour 2 portion of the Flames Talk podcast. The Eric Francis Hour for Horse Racing Alberta starts next week, buddy. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it, too. You know, I, I enjoyed doing uh, the show last year that, that was in my name there. We do it every Monday. It was more of a magazine-style show. We'd get two guests and get a chance to ask a bunch of questions that, you know, you know, really a long-form interviews, and I really enjoyed it. But uh, I've always enjoyed our chats that you and I have had on Fridays forever and ever. And uh, the chance to expand it, you know, twice as much fun, twice the pleasure, or uh, twice the annoyance, if, depending on how people uh, see the see our hits. Um, but uh, we're going to have a couple of little wrinkles in there too. I think uh, that we'll unveil as we go along. But I'm really excited about about those and uh, telling some great stories from over the years. And uh, and uh, and as a matter of fact, I want next week. I think that we're going to kick off the show with a. With a, with a, I think is a very significant announcement. Uh, I guess we shouldn't hint too much towards what it's about, but uh, if you do tune in next week for, while we're in Penticton, uh, I have significant news to share uh, with our, with our listeners. So I'm looking forward okay. to that too. Does it, does it have anything to do? Because there's been there was a little bit of a teaser. Uh, is it pizza related? Like, are are you able to say anything more about what the uh, announcement might be? Well, the pizza pickout is coming up, that's for sure. But uh, I don't want to tip my hat uh, as to like uh, what it. the announcement is. I like it. No, no, no. But, but, like but suffice it to say, I can, can tell people the pizza pickout is coming back. And, uh, and, 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 well, we might as well just. No, I guess we. Should we, should we, we might as well tell people uh, that it's definitely. No, no. Coming back. Let's... I, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Leave it at that. It's coming back, and then more more details. We got lots to t- lots to talk about next Friday. Lots to uh, lots to inform about next Friday. Yeah, yeah. It's the twenty first annual. It'll definitely be back, and uh, and you and I will be back next week. And uh, I'm sure Vixie will be around there next week too when we uh, we bandy about whatever we see in uh, Penticton. Because yeah. by then, by then it'll all be crystal clear as to where the flames are going. Oh yeah, one week's time we'll know for sure. Uh, have a good weekend, buddy. Good to good to have you back, and uh, looking forward to the Eric Francis Hour starting next week. 
Yeah, me too, buddy. Can't wait. See you, boys. Have a great weekend. It's Eric Francis, uh, Francis Fridays, as uh, we continue along this hour of Flames Talk. Eric Francis for Horse Racing Alberta. One of the biggest thoroughbred racing days of the year is back in Calgary. Catch the Alberta Breeders' Fall Classic. It's Saturday, September 16th at Century Downs. Seven races for Alberta bred horses, over $350,000 in purses. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this hour continues. Uh, Steinberg Vickers along with you from Veranda here in the Curry Barracks as uh, we continue rolling along here. And you know how much I uh, appreciate long-term deals for young players, right? Are you aware of this, uh, this, this thing that I appreciate? It's one of my favorite things to talk about is giving young players long-term contracts. See, I thought you liked the two-year bridge deal. I thought you were all about that. No, I really I'm am making not. Funny I, I'm really, really not. I don't uh, I don't enjoy that. Yeah. I, uh, I don't think it does anything for the, for the team at all. I don't think it ever is in the team's best interest. It can be in the player's best interest, no doubt about it. But I just... I think what the Ottawa Senators did with Jake Sanderson earlier this week, signing him to an eight-year deal despite having one full year in the NHL under his belt, they sent him, signed him to an eight-year deal at just over $8 million per. They're taking a risk. There's no doubt about it. They're giving him a lot of upfront money before he has proven much of anything at all at the NHL level. But in a salary cap world, in a, in, in a climate, in an NHL that is governed by – how well you manage your salary cap and how you can manipulate manipulate your salary cap, taking risks like that on players you feel good about is one of the ways that you develop an advantage over other teams. And and I think what the Senators have done with players like Brady Kachuk and jo- uh, Jake Sanderson and others, Tim Stutzla, Tim Stutzla like the, and, and I think that they're not the only team, but what the Senators have done, I think it's really smart. They're taking advantage of the situation, and they're getting guys signed to, yeah, big money deals that have a very strong potential of being much better value deals down the road, and they're getting players locked up to some of their most productive and um, important years of their career. And it's something that I don't think the Calgary Flames have done enough of over the last decade, decade and a bit. The one guy that they did do it with, I mean, I mean, they, they did it to an extent with Monaghan and Gaudreau, of course, and, and I think that both worked out well. Uh, I know that the way Monaghan's contract ended with Calgary and his time ended with Calgary, you don't remember the first half of that contract, let alone his entry-level deal, but then the first four years of that contract, he was great value at just over $6 million bucks on that uh, on that seven-year deal. And so he was, they, they, they ended up getting a good contract there. Johnny Gaudreau, for all six years of his deal, where they paid him out of entry-level, he ended up giving him good value. Look at what they're getting on Rasmus Anderson right now. They're getting great value on Rasmus, and it looks like one of the best contracts on the team. So you have those examples of the Flames doing it. I don't think they've done it enough, or they, they could have done it in spots where they decided not to for whatever reason. Matthew Kachuk and Andrew yep. Mangiapane are the two that come to mind most uh, kind of most readily. But I, I think it's something the Flames 
could have done more of. And I think it's something that this new regime should be looking to do more of as as Craig Conroy and company really start to put their hands on this team and kind of put their fingerprints all over what this team's going to look like in the future. Yeah, the one big miss on this front looks to be Matthew Kachuk, who we all know how that situation turned out. And we're still going to have to wait two, three seasons to see whether or not this experiment by the Ottawa Senators actually works for them they've got a lot as you mentioned invested in future contracts a little bit you're overpaying now but you're hoping by year three or year four and then the back end of the contract that it works to your benefit where you can you know really take advantage of the space that you've created with the salary cap and also just by sheer having the term on these players so players that have at least four years, if not six or seven, include Tim Stutzler, who's going to be a top-line forward, Brady Kachuk, who's a top-line forward, Drake Batherson's got four years. You go on defense, Thomas Shabbat, and you mentioned Jake Sanderson. Sanderson's curious to me because they are paying a lot for him, but he did have that draft pedigree. He was a top-five pick, was regarded in 2020 as arguably or undisputedly, depending on where you sat three years ago, as the top defenseman in the in draft, draft class. class yep. And he comes in as a rookie, he played two years in North Dakota, comes in as a rookie for the Senators and puts up 32 points in 77 games as a defenseman. So they're extrapolating what they've seen in his development while in college, his first year in the NHL with Ottawa, obviously, and they are expecting a guy that's going to sooner rather than later be a top-pairing defenseman. So it begs the question for the Calgary Flames is who – who can they look to to capitalize on a long-term contract where they're going to guarantee a player a lot of cost certainty, but they're still going to be hoping to take yeah. advantage of their development advancing to a point where it becomes a bargain contract? Well, and again, I mean, you don't do it with every player. Every Everybody is different, but I thought that the... For instance, there's been a couple of times where I felt that a long-term deal for Andrew Manchapani would make a lot of sense. Uh, perhaps not this past summer, but the couple couple years prior, I thought, you know what? If they were to go six, seven, eight years on Manchapani right now, they'd probably be looking at a pretty good contract. And I, I think that you're, you'd be in a spot, and I, I felt at the time that they would have been in a spot to be getting good value down the road. They opted not to and signed him to a two-year deal. Now he's on a three-year deal. But... I, I think that you had that option at the mm-hmm. time to get some really good cost certainty and uh, a bargain down the road with the player. Um, that's the most recent guy that I thought they had the opportunity to do that with. And so it begs the question, is there anybody on the team, as you said, that you could point to right now that they could think about doing that with? And, and I don't know if there are perfect comparables to Sanderson because I think that there are – guys you could say well yeah but he'd be a good one but he's older or he'd be a good one but he's not the same pedigree but i do think that the the guy that comes to mind first of all is the guy they just drafted in the first round i'm i'm really really and and i think matt coronado's in that same conversation if if coronado shows that he is ready to be a full-time nhler and he has himself a good first year in the nhl well then yeah He's eligible to sign a contract extension next summer. Start having those conversations, and not about a two-year bridge. Start having those conversations about a long-term deal where, yes, you have to pay more up front than you would if you went short-term, but 
what happens in year four or year five if you project a player to be a really important member of your, of your team and a more important player of your team than when you're signing them at the time, well, then you're probably going to get an, a, a, a really solid deal and it's end up it's going to end up being team-friendly for you down the road. So it's Coronado and Sam Hunzek would be the two that I think, okay, and they're a little bit different in age, mm-hmm. but Coronado is right away – if Coronado goes out and gets you 18 or 19 as a rookie NHLer, why aren't you thinking about going down that road this summer? Why aren't you seeing if you can't get him to sign a six, seven, or eight-year deal? And the same is true in a couple of years. If Hanzek has a good rookie season, you should. I, I, I think if you've got players that you project being key members, there is always wisdom in trying to get those long-term deals signed and cap considerations come into it it's the big reason why they couldn't with matthew kachuk they could afford three times seven or seven and a half or whatever it was Mm -hmm. but affording the eight and a half to get him to sign the six-year deal was a little bit more difficult so the cap always plays into it but if you can do it i think it's something the flames should be doing more of going forward for me, you nailed the, the two candidates in the short term that might have this option. Again, it's, you've got to, it's on the player to show that they're going to be coveted for that kind of duration where the organization is willing to take a chance on an eight-year term that's going to have a bit higher AAV up front, but that maybe on the back end is going to be of benefit, some cost savings to the Flames in terms of a cap hit. I'm going to lean more on Coronado than Hanzik uh, at this stage, one. One's anticipated to potentially be in the lineup this year versus yep. Yep. Hansa, you know, I'm not going to rule out the opportunity that he's going to have in training camp, but I don't think it's as likely as Coronado to be a member of the Calgary Flames this season. The other thing that I'm looking at, too, is I think Hansa's development curve is going to be longer than Matt Coronado's, just with the style, with learning how to use his body more effectively in the NHL. He's certainly got that size but he's going to have to learn how to make it a significant asset for him. He's been able to do that in junior, but he has to do that again at the NHL level, whereas Coronado, if he gets the opportunity to get into the lineup and he's playing in a top six role, and as you mentioned, he's suddenly producing somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 goals, I wonder how interested his camp would be in a long-term deal. I wonder how interested the Calgary Flames would, because you're certainly going to project Matt Coronado to be a scoring winner winger in your organization, particularly if he comes out as a rookie and does put up those kind of numbers. Well, and, and the interesting thing on Coronado is how is, is how similar he is circumstantially to Sanderson mm-hmm. in that they because they signed out of college and a year was um, a year was burnt. Coronado only is, is effectively playing on a two year entry level as opposed to a three year entry level. His first year of his entry level got burnt last year by signing, so he is eligible to sign an extension next summer. Uh, and so. I think if he has a positive rookie season, you start going down that road. I know there's a lot of people that say that's too early, that's too early. Dylan and Revy, for instance, when talking about Sanderson, says, um, I'm all for locking up young guys long term if they have a decent body of work. 77 games isn't enough to justify that for me, especially when you've already got big money at the position already. Sanderson's good, but 77 games isn't enough in my opinion. And I understand that, but I lean more towards the take the risk and get the potential massive payoff. And you know the player more than anybody does. Nobody does know Sanderson more than the Ottawa Senators do. They scouted him extensively going into the draft, and now they've had him in their team, so they're the only team with the eyes on 
the the extent of the eyes on watchings that, that they would have. They know him best. And so you trust your pro scouts. You trust your hockey ops department to then say, all right, we believe this guy is going to be a top-pairing NHL defenseman, so let's let's go down the long-term contract road right now. And so I don't mind that even with 77 games of NHL experience, a team's willing to do that because that's showing faith in your hockey ops department. And, and so I, I just, again... It's not apples to apples, and not every player is the same. But if you've got a if you've got a player that you see being part of your core, there's never anything wrong with the very least broaching the conversation about getting that long term deal locked up. Well, and as it stands right now, with the arsenal, for lack of a better term, the Ottawa Senators have on the blue line. In my for my money, he's already a top three defenseman on that team with Thomas Shabbat and Jacob Chikrin. So you're already invest. You're investing eight million dollars times eight years, sure, but you're doing it for a guy that you already have penned in as a guy that's going to be a twenty-plus minute a night guy for your organization. So I understand the risk there. The other element I like is I'd rather miss on one of my young kids than miss on an unrestricted free agent on a big swing contract deal for several reasons. One, you're showing faith in your organization, as you mentioned, your scouting staff, your development team, the player himself. But also the consequences and repercussions are a lot less drastic on a player that you're signing at a younger age because the buyout, if you if it turns disastrous for the Ottawa Senators, they're still only on the hook for a third of the buyout as opposed to two thirds. So the cap implications, if you if you swing and miss, are less significant for the Ottawa Senators. So I'm I'm in favor of it. I think it again. He's a guy that's probably a bit of a unicorn in this sense, coming as a defenseman getting a contract like this after just 70-some-odd games in the NHL. But at the same time, he has the draft pedigree. He's shown the performance. He's a top-four defenseman in your organization already. Mm. I think he just checks a lot of unique boxes. It's a really fun conversation. I know that not everybody sees it the same way. There's there's a lot of people who still believe you pay for what you – or you get paid for what you've done as opposed to paying for what could happen down the road. I just subscribe more to the latter in this day and age because of – how restrictive the salary cap is and how restrictive it's going to be. Even with it going up, it's still going to be the number one consideration when building a hockey team until the salary cap doesn't exist. So it just, if you can find ways to game the cap, if you can find ways to give yourself advantages, I think you always have to be seriously considering them. Absolutely. You're not going to win a Stanley Cup if you don't have enough flexibility to go out and do what you need to do in those prime years where you're competitive, the way the Ottawa Senators are stacking. We talk a lot about Calgary and their cap situation, and you've got all these players that are either about to be over 30 or already over 30 that are still committed to, you know, five, six, seven-year deals. Well, the Ottawa Senators are basically building a roster of 24, 25-year-olds and under, knowing that this is going to be their core for the next better part of a decade. And then should this go according to their plan they're going to have all sorts of cap room to fill out the roster yeah. around them to remain competitive for a long time only other guys that come to mind they're a little bit older uh we've talked about Dubé before and then the other one shillington if oliver shillington midway through this season shows you that he is the same guy that he was the season before last i am if i'm craig conroy i'm trying to lock that guy up to six or seven years right now i i would be confident in doing that with a guy like shillington again Give it a little bit of time once the season starts. See how he plays. See how things are going. But if you've got 35, 40, 45 games 
and he looks like the guy that he was during that 21-22 season, his real breakout campaign, sign the contract. You drafted that guy. You developed that guy. You're going to get a deal on it. Uh, you're signing him before unrestricted free agency. Like, I don't know. I, I would I would think about doing that uh, fairly heavily as well if I were the Flames. That would be the only other guy that maybe we haven't talked about in the past because we've talked about Dubé, um, but Shillington's a really interesting one for me um, when having that conversation. Now, you may have to. You're going to be buying UFA years in there, so right. you might have, but I, I do think going long-term on him is something that would be really smart. I think he has to come back and, and, and show where he is versus where he was, that there's not a massive gap in between. To me, Shillington's just a little bit too different a situation because I, if he comes back and shows what he was two years ago, that's awesome and that's great. I, I'll still have questions about what his ultimate upside is, where in the Jake Sanderson situation where you're, okay, maybe he's your number three or your number four now, but you're expecting him to develop into a number one. I don't know if the expectation right. on Oliver Shillington would be, here you are, you're, we really like you in our second pair. Can he elevate to being a top pair defenseman? And that's what the Calgary Flames would have to evaluate in that situation. I don't mind having a second pair defenseman I mean, depend, for dep- six years. Though, I, and if again, he's a depends, good second pair Depends defenseman. on the cost, for sure. Very fair. Uh, he is Aaron Vickers on Twitter at AA Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll start to wrap us up this hour on Flames Talk, of course, available wherever you get your podcast. Taylor and Cam have been our producers, and uh, we've been coming at you from the veranda patio. Veranda, of course, is the collaboration between Bird Wood uh, Distillers and uh, Vacay Brewing. They've got this awesome, awesome oh, yeah. spot. Great collaboration. Incredible food right here in the Curry Barracks. You've got to check it out, whether it's on the weekend, after work, for lunch, whatever the case may be. It's great. Right now, the sun's shining on the patio and everything. Oh, and the patio looks really, really nice, yeah. and it looks really nice at night as well. That'll do it for this hour. This hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe, now just $1450, or explore the full line of safes at calgarylockandsafe.com.